0: Our sermon passage comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word your word that touches on all the topics of life, even the uncomfortable ones, I pray that your spirit would be present with us this morning, ministering to our hearts, encouraging us, and as we talk about difficult things, that we would know that your love and your care for us is secure in Christ. Pray in the name of Christ, amen. You know, I, I'm not sure if this is still a thing. I haven't seen it out and about, but I remember in elementary school, they taught us, you know, not to touch or eat chemicals that are under the sink. And they gave us these Mr. Yuck stickers. There's this green sticker with this guy sticking his tongue on I think, going, like, ah, you know, don't eat me, or you're gonna turn green like I am. And so we put it on all the toxic chemicals. I'm not sure how effective it was uh, in keeping children away from, from these chemicals. But we but we did it. And so even still at my house, my parents' house, I got Mr. Yuck stickers over all the all the chemicals, and I was like, oh, I was going to drink that. But now that I can see the Mr. Yuck sticker, I'll stay away from it, you know. And, uh, and I think that the topic of hell is, is like that for the church. It's got this Mr. Yuck sticker on it, and we don't like talking about it. It makes us look bad to the outside world. It seems like there's outdated things, like do we really still believe in that? And so we just kind of don't touch it, right? And this is actually one of the exact reasons why we just preach through books of the Bible here is because it puts us in contact with things, with, with all the teachings of Scripture, even those topics which I personally would probably rather not talk about. You know, if, if I was just going to set up mini-series on topics to talk about, you know, the love of God, you know, maybe marriage and family and all these, you know, fun topics to talk about, hell, probably wouldn't be in the top ten list of those for me if I was getting to just choose because it's, it's uncomfortable, you know, if you just took a quick poll on the streets, why many people don't believe in Christianity and in the, in the Christian faith, it's the idea of hell would likely be at the top of most people's lists. And the question goes like this: How could a loving God, a God that you claim loves the world, how could the loving God send people to an eternal hell, to eternal punishment? It seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? It doesn't seem fair to our ears. You know, even for us Christians in the room, it isn't something we like to talk about. We don't quite understand it. We probably maybe even wish it wasn't true, and so we tend to ignore it. Unfortunately for us, Jesus talks a lot about hell. In fact, Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else in Scripture, which doesn't line up with most of our visions of who Jesus is. You know, that fun-loving guy who wants us all to get along, you know, That guy says more about hell than anyone. And what Jesus is showing his disciples this morning about this particular doctrine and and us is more than just the reality of hell. But I think the focus is actually the seriousness of our sin. The predicament that we find ourselves in and, and that we need to be able to do whatever it takes to rid ourselves from sin. Because if left untreated, it does take you to the place of hell. And that actually becomes, I think, the true focus of Jesus' words this morning. He's essentially asking, listen, do you understand the true nature of your sin? Do you understand how seriousness, and are you willing to do whatever it takes to rid yourself from it? Or do we take our sin actually lightly? Do we think we're pretty good? And I think there's, there's three aspects to sin that Jesus is teaching about us about this morning, and they're this, the, the seriousness of sin the penalty for sin, and the purification from sin. And so first, the seriousness of sin. Look back with me here at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, just one quick aside. When we hear little ones, we probably naturally think he's talking about children. But actually, when scripture talks about little ones, it's mostly just talking about disciples. The little ones are just the people of God. And he is saying, listen, if anyone causes you to, to sin, to, to turn away from the faith, it's, it's better for you to drown. <laughs> this is serious. Sin is a life and death thing. It's Better to have this massive millstone, which is something, you know, a, a donkey would have been pushing around to mill grain. It's better to have that massive piece of equipment strapped to your neck and thrown into the sea rather than cause someone else to sin. You know, when I think about the idea of drowning, it's one of the things I'm actually most fearful of. It's the one way people say, oh, it's a painless way to die. And I'm like, I don't want to die like that. Uh, I can think of a lot of different ways I'd want to go, but, and that's not... One of them, and I grew up with a swimming pool. I can hold my breath, or I used to be able to hold my breath a long time. You know, I did the swim team thing, if you can imagine, maybe don't imagine. And, you know, I was, <laughs> there we go. You guys actually laughed at one of my jokes. This is a good Sunday. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I'm very familiar with water. And uh, I don't remember a time when I couldn't, I couldn't swim. And, and that idea of being held underwater, gasping for breath, Having water fill your lungs is one of the worst things I could imagine. It's why often actually I do not like swimming in, in lakes is because you can't see the surface. And so when I jump into a lake, I, I go up as fast as I can because I'm worried I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drown. And uh, Jesus is saying, listen, this idea of drowning, of suffocating underwater, is better than sin. Do we actually believe that's true? And Jesus actually doesn't stop there. Look with me here at verse 43. It gets a little more extreme. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is extreme language. If your hand causes you to sin, if your foot, if your eye, get rid of them. Cut them out of your body. It's better to lose a member of your body than to enter eternity with only one foot or one hand or one eye. And, you know, when he's talking about these, these three things, I think they're important things for us to think about. The foot is reference to our pursuing sinful acts, you know, putting our, our feet, put ourselves in positions to sin. The hand is reference to the sins that we actually commit with our hands, right? Your feet take you there, but your hand actually commits the, the sinful act. And, of course, we sin with more than just our hands. You know, teaching of Jesus, one of the big things he's, he gets at is it's a heart thing. Uh, you know, and, and our eyes are kind of the eyes. Uh, follow the desires of our, of our hearts. And so the eyes include some metaphor for lust, for deception, for envy, sins that happened in our hearts and minds. He's saying, listen, whatever it is that causes you to sin, you need to cut it out of your life. You need to rid yourself of the opportunity for sin. It's serious. What Jesus is saying here is, sounds extreme because it, it is extreme. And there's this underlying question again, are we this extreme to deal with our sin? Do we take our sin seriously? And one thing just to be clear about is Jesus is not actually saying literally cut off your hands and and gouge out your eyes. The Jewish law is actually pretty clear that it's unlawful to cut yourself. That's not what his hearers would have been hearing. They would have been hearing that sin is serious and you need to do whatever it takes, even if it causes you pain, to, to rid yourself of it. And this turns it to us. Are you willing to, to, to use a dumb phone and limit our access to the internet if we struggle with obsessive online shopping or gossip and slander on social media and, and pornography? Are you, are you willing to change your, your job if your works brings you to places that cause you to sin, even if it means you make less money and have to move into a smaller home? Are you willing to make difficult choices in order to rid yourself of sin? You know, as I was thinking about this, I, I, this may or may not be true, but I think oftentimes for us, it isn't necessarily that we don't think sin is serious. If I was going to ask you, do you think sin is serious in this room? And I was talking to each one of you individually, you probably say, yeah, sin is serious. I think the problem, our problem is, is that we, we, we don't think our sin is serious, right? We often think, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy next to me. It's like the old adage, you know, you don't have to outrun a bear. You just have to outrun the guy next to you, right? It's, it's like that. And I think that's how we think about sin. I don't have to be the holiest person in the room. I just have to be holier than that guy. And, uh, and then I can out, outrun it. And, and I think that's often how we actually think about our sin. And in this passage, Jesus for us removes that temptation for us to minimize our sin. But If you, if you do any sin with 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 your body, with your mind, to put yourself in the place of any sin. He's not judging sins. He's not, he's not arranging a hierarchy of sins here. He's saying any sin that, that you do, it's better to do whatever it takes to get rid of it rather than go to hell. And Jesus in these metaphors is saying, which do you want? Do you want a, a temporary pain now or eternal hell later? What are you willing to do to cut off your sin? The sin that lives in each of us. And uh, which leads us to a question, uh, why? Like, why, What makes sin so serious? Why is sin so serious that we would have to treat it like this? Why is it better to drown or lose a, a part of our body than to sin? It's because of the penalty for sin. The penalty for sin is, is much worse than, than, than losing a part of our body and drowning. And this is the second aspect we learn of, of sin. It's the, the penalty for sin sin is so serious because of the penalty for it. Which here we learn it's actually eternal hell. If, if we hold on to our sin and, and preserve our sin then we will indeed perish. So what is hell that he's talking about? What, what is he talking about here? You know, you see it he says it a couple of times here you know, at the end of verse 43 that you go to hell with the unquenchable fire again in verse 45 and to be thrown into hell and then again here in verse 48 it says where there Worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And this is ultimately where sin that isn't dealt with leads us. And the words that Jesus is, is using here to, to talk about this topic of, of hell come from the book of Isaiah. You know, at the very end, the last words of the book of Isaiah, they're looking out over the wicked who have been judged by God and, and are now dead. And it talks about how they were being eaten by worms and the fire was an unquenchable fire. And this is what Jesus is actually quoting. in this place that they were looking on and seeing this judgment was a place called Gehenna. And the, the word for hell here is Gehenna. And so it's actually talking about a specific place. This isn't to say that hell isn't a real place for us now, but, but the worst place on earth But they could imagine in this time that is the most comparable to what hell will be is this place called Gehenna. And uh, in Israel's history, their most vile acts actually happened here at Gehenna. You know, at their worst moment as a people, uh, when their evil was the most, their most evil act was child sacrifice. And what made child sacrifice so evil was because it it was the the end of of giving themselves over to to idol worship. And so that child sacrifice happened in this place of Gehenna. And then later, when when the the last of the good kings in the southern kingdom came along, King Josiah, he uh, actually used that place to put all the garbage of the city. So all the garbage of the city, dead animals, anything they needed to get rid of, they put it in that place. And it was on fire, And because there was so much stuff there, it was like this eternal flame that was always burning the rubble. And there was worms that were eating the decay. And this is the picture for us of what hell is. It's very gross, right? It's rotting flesh, the eternal fire, a place dedicated to the worship of false gods and child sacrifice. This is what hell is. This is the penalty for sin. This is why sin is to be taken seriously. And I think this idea is hard for us and you know, we're modern, sophisticated people. It's hard for us to stomach this reality. Right? For us, it seems a bit extreme. We may think to ourselves, well, I understand that you know, we need to be punished, sure, but, but forever in this place, an unquenchable fire. And to be sure, if our sin problem was only sinning against each other, this might be a little over the top and extreme. But one of the things scripture teaches us is that our sin against each other isn't ultimately against each other. But what makes our sin against each other so heinous is that it's actually a sin against God. You see this plainly in Psalm 51. You know, you have King David, he's repenting from rape and murder. You know, two of the big ones, right, that we don't do. He did both of these. And what does he say to God? He says, Against you and you only have I sinned. What, what makes sin so heinous is ultimately that it's rebellion against God. Every sin caused by our hands, or our eyes, or our feet is cosmic treason against him. In this, we're being said, there is no such thing as small sin. There is no small amount of treason. Sin, if left untreated, takes us to the same place it took Israel, a place where we would rather sacrifice our children than turn towards God where we prefer the convenience that our idol worship offers more than the duties that God has placed before us. And this is why the only righteous penalty for sin is hell. This is why sin is serious. This is why we ought to do whatever it takes to purify ourselves, to rid ourselves from sin. And where where we struggle to see the goodness in this is really a lack of understanding on our part of just how detestable our sin is. It's not a small matter. This is why Jesus is saying these extreme things here. It's better to be maimed now. It's better to have temporary pain rather than have worms eat you to be burned for all eternity. So what do we do with this? I mean, this is a heavy thing to think about, to talk about. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good. We feel the weight of this, I think, because at the end of the day, we we know how much we struggle with sin ourselves. None of us actually do enough to rid ourselves of this. At the end of the day, we love our sin more than we fear hell. So, What do we do? <laughs> what do we do with this reality? Well, we, ultimately, we need to be purified. This is the, the final thing Jesus is showing us about sin here is the purification from sin. It begins here in verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This kind of sounds like an odd thing for Jesus to start talking about. He's talking about hell and this brimstone. And he starts talking about salt. He's like, what are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? And I think there's multiple connotations to salt here. I think he's using it differently here a little bit than, than uh, other gospels when he talks about salt. And I, and I think the primary thing that's at least on his mind is, is the laws and the sacrificial system that, were, that they used to make themselves clean, to rid themselves of the sin, to be purified from sin and the consequences of sin. You know, they, they, they held these sacrifices. And one unique aspect of the sacrifices is they would salt them. They would put salt over all their sacrifice, And so to be salted with fire is to be purified and preserved through it. As salt preserves and purifies, as the sacrificial system cleanses us and purifies us from sin, uh, the salt preserves us through the flames and makes us pure. And it's this idea you have to go through fire to be purified. And ultimately in this, Jesus is looking far beyond the removal of just a body part. You know, if really all that was required was removing a body part, although painful, it's actually pretty easy to do. You know, like you could easily go to a doctor, you could even be put under and have them take out all the body parts of you that cause you to sin, and you wake up and you, you know, you probably get a CNI dog and then you go on your way. It's actually pretty simple. But what's demanded here is actually far more difficult. He's talking about something that happens inside your hearts. An inner purification, a heart transplant. You know, one of my former professors, Hans Beyer, Uh, says it like this. He says, To be salted here means to be offered in a purifying fire through the removal of sin. And ultimately, that's what he's talking about, is this purifying fire that removes sin from from us. And this is the result of the purification fires. It, it, It preserves and purifies, leading us here at the end to peace with each other. And this is, you know, one of the things, aspects that we're more familiar with, the idea of being the salt of the earth, right? Just like salt purifies and preserves us, so we're to be the salt of the earth, bringing that purification, preserving agent wherever we find ourselves. This is one of the reasons why we want a church plant. See, the church grow is so everywhere the church is, they're they're, they're the salt of the earth, preserving and purifying everywhere they find themselves. Sounds good. The question that Jesus doesn't really answer here, though, is the how, does he? sir? I... We can all understand that we need to be purified from sin. We need to be forgiven. We need to have our sins removed. But how do we do that? How do we go through the fire of purification? Is it just something I have to do? Do I have to suffer? What does that mean? And this especially is especially difficult when we know how much we love our sin, when we know that we aren't usually as drastic as we need to be to remove it from our lives. And in fact, we often let sin thrive in our hearts because we. Love it even if we don't like loving it, we do. So how do we purify ourselves? How do we experience the purity that's being talked about? I think one of the points of this is Jesus wants his disciples to feel the weight of their desperation. One of the points here is that there is nothing they can do to purify themselves. There is nothing they could do to make themselves clean they are desperate he wants them to feel the weight of their need the weight of their inability to cleanse themselves because until we feel the weight of our sin and as we grow in in realizing the weight of our sin our distance from from the holiness of God the more we will see the greater weight of hope that we have in Christ because as deep and as heavy as the weight of sin is the weight of hope and glory far outshines the weight of hell And this is the beautiful truth that Jesus is pointing to. It is for this reason that Jesus came. Jesus, who although was already purified and perfect, he had his body bruised and maimed on our behalf. Jesus, who is eternally perfect and preserved, went into the fires of hell. He descended into hell so that you don't have to. He took the penalty of hell on himself so that you can receive the purification salt and preserving salt from him. So as heavy as hell is, how much greater is the weight of glory that's offered to us in Christ? That the penalties that we deserve go to Jesus, not by our might or strength or by deserving it, but because it pleased God to do so. And the the beautiful truth that's wild for us and hard for us to believe is that if you have your faith in Christ... You've gone through the, the. You've been salted with the fire of Christ. You have been made pure. Even now, you are purified. Now, you have been made holy and righteous. Now, as we just read it in in the First Corinthians in our assurance of pardon this morning, the sacrifice of Christ is so powerful. The purification right is so strong, so good that it covers all of your sin everything that you ever have done, everything that you ever will do. It's a wild thing, a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around because we still struggle with sin. And you might protest, but doesn't that mean then that it doesn't matter what I do? Like, what does it matter if I take sin seriously and try to rid it from my life if Jesus has already paid the penalty for my sin? And the answer to that is simple. It's because someone that doesn't take sin seriously, someone who isn't convicted by this kind of talk by Jesus, the implication here is perhaps they don't actually belong to Jesus. If you treat sin lightly, it's a warning that you may not belong to him, that you may actually be on the path to hell. And if you claim to belong to Jesus and he treats sin this seriously and you don't, then this is a warning that, that you may be on a path to a place without realizing it. And you may not actually belong to him if you treat lightly what he treats seriously. And so you have this back and forth idea that is challenging for us. Because we like to be legalistic in our thinking about faith and we like to think everything's simple and it's I'm either in or out, but we always live a little bit in that gray area because none of us are perfect. And in this, Jesus isn't saying you need to be perfect, but it does mean we need to take sin seriously. For the simple fact that Jesus does. Or at least we need to work to take sin seriously. You know, we can never actually understand and know every sin that we've ever committed. And so, we, you know, one of the, one of the burdens is we, when we listen to this, we can start to feel anxious about every wrongdoing, thinking that, oh, maybe I don't belong to Jesus now. And that's not what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to say, listen, I want you to take it seriously. Do you confess your sin or do you hide it? Do you talk to others? Or do you give yourself over to sin without any effort of cutting it out of your life? The glory of Christ is far greater than any temporary discomfort that comes from giving your life over to sin. Jesus has already taken the full force and the penalty of our sin, and so we're called to walk in faith in that, to trust him. This is what it means to have salt in ourselves, to have the Holy Spirit help us to to die to our sin and live to righteousness. It's It's a process that we call sanctification, of being made holy. And this, if anything, is the fire that we walk through, is that daily process of dying to sin and living to righteousness. But as Christ is salting us, we are preserved and purified in him. And what's beautiful about this is it actually leads to the life of the world, and we become purification agents in the world. And ultimately, this doctrine then leads us to a place of profound hope. Right, The doctrine of hell, because of the work of Christ, becomes a doctrine of profound hope that Jesus tasted it on our behalf and it creates a people with a profound dependence of people who understand what was accomplished by Jesus. And because of that truth, that's the truth that we live out of. We're not chasing our purification. We're not trying to be holy to chase purification because you can never attain it on your own. But, but we try to pursue purification because you already have it in Christ. And we live out of that purification and that salvation that we already have. And it's why we're filled lives of worship. It's like when you grow in your faith, you, your, your worship increases. And you're, you're, you're more and more dedicated to killing your sin and living to righteousness. And ultimately, this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to. This is what he's calling his church to do. To be a purified people. To be holy as he is holy. And when we do this, when we act like this, when we grow in this, we actually become a life for the world. Pointing to others to say, hey, you cannot purify yourselves on your own. You need what that which only comes from Christ. Come and taste and see that He is good. May we grow to be this kind of people who have a full hope and assurance that comes in the gospel, who understand both the, the weight of our sin and the even greater weight of hope that we have in Christ. Pray with me. Merciful Jesus. We give you thanks for your word that challenges and encourages, that causes us to take deep looks in our own hearts, to confess our sin, and to chase after you more and more. Help us to be encouraged by this truth, to know that you are for us, that you are with us, and you are sustaining us as we live out of the purification that you have secured in your life, death, and resurrection. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen.